I'm going to invite you to power on your Bible or turn to the one in the book rack to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Colossians 1:24. Uh, as you're turning there, we're continuing a six-week teaching series called Time to Live Again. There is a daily devotional that goes with this teaching series, Monday through Friday. It's just five minutes long. It goes out at 8 a.m. It's on social media, or you can get it text to your phone. You just have to text the word Devo, and we'll leave this up there uh, long enough that you can put it into your phone. Text the word Devo to 317-526-4520. And you're gonna get it to you every day and just a quick devotional to kind of begin your day in God's word through the letter to the Colossian church. Now, if you're new here, uh, this teaching series is about us becoming fully alive, devoted followers of Jesus. And I know that for some of you, you may be still searching out the things of faith and may not be a Christian yet. Welcome. We started this church for you. Hear that this morning, I'm going to be talking a lot to Christians about how to mature in their faith. And I want to ask this question. I realized this morning how old I truly was. Uh, Anybody know uh, the remainder of this song? It goes like this. I don't want to grow up. Okay, wow. Well, you were at the last service, man. That's like cheating, James. Like... (laughs) I don't want to grow up because maybe if I did, I wouldn't be a Toys R Us kid, okay? I didn't realize that wasn't still around, but like I grew up listening to that and I was just like, I never want to grow up. I want to be Peter Pan and I want to live forever as a kid. And I want to tell you that I find for many of us as Christians, I'm going to say this, that uh, there are a lot of Toys R Us Christians today who refuse to grow up spiritually to become the person God desires us to be. And so I want you to do something a little different because we are not the place of anger and judgment and today's message is going to be a little different. So I want you to turn to your neighbor on your left and your right. And I know some of you are like, I hate this. Uh, turn to your neighbor on your left and your right real quick and just say, it's not normally like this. Could you do that? I haven't made you do that in a while. It's not normally like this. This, this morning, is, it's a part of a six-week teaching series, but it's actually a two-part sermon. You have to come next weekend to get a week two of this two-part sermon. In fact, I wasn't even supposed to be here next weekend. I was supposed to be preaching at another location, and I, I rescheduled everything so I could be with you next Sunday because I want to teach on this passage so badly. It's the one passage in the whole series that I've been pretty passionate about. Because I want to encourage you that God desires to be known by you. He wants you to to get to know him more and to become the person he created you to be. To grow in your faith and mature in the way that you follow Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, this message is kind of preaching to myself. If you missed last weekend, uh, we kicked off the teaching series talking about what it means to bear fruit. That it's time to become... uh, to bear fruit by exalting Jesus and being reconciled to him. Well, this week, I'm going to talk about that, okay, once we have done that, it's time for us to suffer as Christians and become mature believers, which no one really likes doing. And I want to share with you that 21st century Americans aren't that different than the uh, culture that the church in Colossae was ministering in. I'm going to bring a map back up here of the area that if you could squint and see the the names of the cities up there, Ephesus on the far left, a port city that was on the Via Ignatia, a major Roman road, was a place that Paul went in 57 AD and presented the gospel. 
Some people rejected it. Some people received it. One of the people that received it was a man named Epaphras or Epaphras. And he became a devoted follower of Jesus. And he goes 100 miles to the east to where he most likely grew up. And we believe was the one to plant these churches in the Lycus River Valley. In the three towns that you can see there, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. And so while Paul's writing to the smallest of those towns, Colossae, it was about 50,000 people, he's uh, having it circulated to all three of those towns. The, the church in Colossae most likely met in the house of Philemon. Philemon was someone who Paul is also sending an additional letter to. At the same time he's delivering the letter to the Colossians, he's also delivering a, a letter to Philemon himself to talk about what is going to be addressed the last week of this series uh, his former slave, Onesimus. And so it's, a, it, it's very unique that Paul has never been to these towns. He's uh, imprisoned in Rome. He's taken his three missionary journeys. And because of his faith, he has ended up in Rome in prison. And he's writing these letters, uh, one of his last letters to the church in Colossae, challenging them to become mature in their faith by being willing to sacrifice for it. Whew. Are you ready to study God's word together? Because yeah. we're, we're going to get into it this morning. I hope you're ready for it. Here's what it says in Colossians 1, 24 and 25. Now, Paul writes, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. He says he's suffering on the account of the greater church, including there in Colossae, just like Christ did. Most scholars say this is one of the oddest phrases or verses that Paul writes. Because he's saying like Christ was crucified and the way he, had affl he was afflicted, that he suffered for the cause, that he, on the count of the gospel, is suffering for the church as a greater whole, including there in Colossae. Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The fact that he says in its fullness there is also unique. He, he's talking about this fullness they find in God, addressing some of the mystery cults that are occurring there in Colossae that we're going to get into over these next two weeks. Speaking to a culture that had really kind of begun to take all kinds of different philosophical and religious beliefs and combine them into one. Sound familiar in today's culture? I'm going to tell you that as I get into this, it may feel a little bit like you're, you're attempting to run a marathon, but you haven't been training for it. And part of following Jesus, running the good race, fighting the good fight, means that you're going to stick with and be devoted to him, even in times of uh, misunderstanding when it's hard to be obedient to him, even when you don't fully understand him. And so as we kick this off today, I just want to tell you, we are a place of healing, a place of love and encouragement, but I also believe that we have to teach God's word and its truth to a culture that frankly is pretty far from him. And we often think that's like a new thing, but it actually existed back in the first century, and that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing over these next couple of weeks together. The question I want to ask you if you're a Christian, are you willing to suffer and stand for the true gospel? The gospel just means the good news of Jesus. That's the question I want to dive into. Will you pray with me? God, I, I pause and I just, I thank you for every person that came out on this beautiful Sunday morning and we could have been doing all kinds of things with our time. 
But as uh, leaders of faith today, whether we acknowledge it or not, we've gathered here to grow closer to you and to each other. And so I pray that my words may be taken away, that anything that's just uh, self-righteous of me as a Christian would not be heard. But I pray, God, that the truth of your grace and love in this passage would convict us, would challenge us, would transform us to follow you more closely. I pray for those who are searching out the, the mysteries of this world and trying to find what is true in a culture where it's very difficult to determine that, that, God, we might find truth today, the firm foundation of our life in you. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen, amen. Who likes to suffer? Come on. Any self-deprecating people out there? Just love to suffer? None of us love to suffer, right? I love the verses where it says that Christ came to comfort us because that's certainly true. And when you're at your lowest of your lows, the Bible teaches us his spirit will groan for us, Romans 8, 26. But what, what I wanna challenge us as Christians today is because of the suffering of Christ for us, we are called to a life of sacrifice for him. The word suffering means to experience or be subjected to something bad or unpleasant. No one likes to be subjected to anything, let alone something bad or unpleasant. So when Paul writes that he's suffering on the account of them and that he's setting the example of being a Christian, it's a pretty difficult message to receive. But I know that's true because I mentioned about growing up as a Toys R Us kid and, and that many of us as Toys R Us Christians today are, are gonna get to heaven and all we're gonna have is a whole bunch of stories of toys we played with rather than the experience of the kingdom advancement in our lifetime. See, I got uh, three kids, and one of them's a daughter, so she's amazing, and, and she knows Jesus. The other two are boys. And, you know, my youngest son, he is five. I mentioned this last week. I don't think people knew this was real. He has a mohawk right now. I mean, he looks the part, baby. He's a wild child, and uh, we sometimes ask very difficult things of him as a child that he might grow up and mature as a young, young boy. Like just the other day, we asked him to go to bed. It was very, that was a very difficult word to hear. And after the, the fifth time of coming out of his room and him being you know, 20 minutes past his bedtime, my wife was getting a little bit frustrated. And uh, he turned to us and he got really emotional. And he said, you guys are being mean. We're like, what are you talking about? He's like, you just want to boss me around and tell me what to do. I'm like, you're five years old. You better get used to it. This ain't going away anytime soon, but... You know, we, uh, we were like, Jet, we're not trying to be mean. If you don't go to sleep, you're going to be grumpy. And then we're going to get grumpy. And then everybody's going to be grumpy all because you wouldn't go to bed on time. Get some sleep. There are things that as a parent, I know better than the child. I have a lot to learn about parenting. Some of us with our heavenly father, there are things about the faith that we don't fully understand. And what makes you think that you're always going to understand God? I mean, if we could truly understand, the Bible compares human beings to an ant in comparison to God. If we could truly understand him, is he a God we really want to serve? My other son, uh, Jake, uh, he's 11 now, and he's in middle school, and uh, he's been taking some really cool steps. And, you know, uh, we got on him this last year because school had always kind of come easy to him, but then we saw his grades last year, and they didn't reflect what we thought it should. 
And so we made mention of that. And he told us there's no way he could get all A's. He just, he couldn't do it. And we're like, but Jake, you can, but you have to understand the level of devotion it's going to take to actually accomplish that. You're going to have to think through your responses and not just turn things in. And so you know what's been really cool? He's doing school online right now. And uh, right now he's got all A's this semester. And I'm so proud of him because he's finally getting like what it takes to be fully devoted and see this be accomplished in his life. Now, I want you to hear this. As a Christian, I'm not telling you you got to get all A's. I'm not telling you if you work hard that you're going to actually earn your salvation in some way. That comes from Christ crucified and resurrected alone. There's nothing you could ever do to earn it. But if you want to see God at work in your life, the level of devotion means submission to God as Lord, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's hard or difficult. Afflictions or sacrifice or suffering essentially is, is really the climax of that is Jesus crucified on the cross. And what does Paul tell us as followers of Jesus we should do because of what he did for us? One of his earliest letters, I believe his first letter, written around 48 or 49 AD to the church in Galatia, he tells them, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died with Christ and I no longer live. He's actually physically alive, right? Like he's not saying he's a, he's a dead man. He's saying that spiritually I've surrendered in a way that I have died and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That the way that we achieve and accomplish and bear fruit like we sh shared last week is to become fully alive in him rather than in ourselves, so we have to die to self, crucify self, and allow him to fully live through us. Here's what I want to share with you through three simple points in our time together, is that what faith fully alive looks like. Faith alive fully understands these three principles that are difficult for us to hear in our culture, just like it was difficult in the day of the Apostle Paul. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes, the mystery has been solved. If you want to come fully alive in Christ, we have to understand that the mystery has been solved. What are we talking about? Well, look what Paul writes to the church in Colossae there in verses 26 to 28. He says, the mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. It's going to say, talk about the mystery multiple times here. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. He says, hey, I know you guys have been searching out what's true. What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? One of the great thoughts that they had in the Greco-Roman culture of that day, they didn't have a Christian understanding of heaven and hell, but they believed that they needed to escape this physical reality and the suffering in this world to go to this ethereal other place. And they all wanted to achieve that. And so he's saying, look, I know you've been searching for that in all these mysteries and all these different religions and philosophies, but let me tell you, the truth of that is found in the end of verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery has been solved. We know that truth in our life comes from Christ alone. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. A fully mature follower of Jesus Understand that truth begins in a relationship with Almighty God that happens through Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. I don't mean to get all theological on you on an early weekend morning, but I want to challenge us as Christians, if you consider yourself a Christian, to understand the seriousness of the statement. 
See, in, in Paul's culture, there in the Lycus River Valley, if we can bring that map back up, they were very into the mystery of the unknown. How do I find out what's true? There's a lot of things that could be true. It could be this religion or that religion or that philosophy or that belief, and I'll take a little bit of this one and a little bit of that one. In fact, that they were the type of people that maybe probably got into all kinds of neat intellectual thoughts about the mysteries, and maybe it's this or maybe it's that. You know, it would be like they're the type of people that stay up late at night watching the history channel of ancient aliens talking about how Elon Musk created a chip that's going to go into our brains and Nostradamus said that would happen thousands of years ago. Whatever the latest conspiracy or thing that brings knowledge into the mystery of the world in my life, those are the things. Am I getting too blunt? See, Next week, I'm going to get into the practical of what is some of the things that you can find today that are very clear heretical teachings from historical Christianity. But I see Christians in our culture that get on YouTube or the latest little clip from the celebrity pastor, the neat little thing, and we get led astray and deceived rather than following the truth of Scripture. Guys, you know we are not the place of like turn or burn or like, you know, judgment and make you feel horrible because you're searching out what you believe. But if we're talking about becoming mature Christians, we have to understand that our life is based off of God and his word, that the mystery has been solved. We don't have to to look to the latest thing of what we could pull from. And I I see people often doing this, if I'm being honest. We we get on YouTube or different places and we're like, oh, that kind of Hindu belief is kind of interesting or this Buddhist belief is kind of interesting or this Muslim belief is kind of interesting. And look, as followers of Jesus, we are to love all people and love them right where they're at in their culture. And I'm not telling you that Christians are better people or that we're some self-righteous, great, you know, type of people. What what I'm sharing is that as followers of Jesus, there is truth and not truth. And what Paul is telling the church in Colossae is the mystery has been solved. We must base our faith on the truth of Jesus Christ. He is our firm foundation. You're like, well, yeah, but is it anything like today? Look, look, this is just in uh, that little area, the Lycus River Valley. Here's just a few of the culture and religious influences of their day. The Greeks and Phrygians, which the Greeks eventually took over that area, but originally those three cities or towns were uh, ancient Phrygia. And, and that was a place um, that went way back. And they worshiped there the, the goddess, the false goddess of Asia, uh, Sybil or Sybil. They also worshiped Isis, an Egyptian god. They also worshiped Apollos. And they would take different mythological gods that were common in their culture, and they would just kind of worship all of them. There were also New Age types of cults or mystery cults that were forming called uh, the cult of Mithraism was the most popular one. And they would worship uh, that God by like cutting themselves and doing things. And they would try to have these ecstatic experiences where if I got emotional enough, I could conjure this God up and get him to work in my life which is kind of the polar opposite. The, the life of a Christian is you become fully alive in Christ and the spirit indwells you, yes, but not because you had to conjure it, but because you submitted and you got rid of yourself and you invited God in. Not because your emotions somehow invoked him. So when I say this, this is really important. They would eventually grow into these, the first great threat to Christianity, which was known as Gnosticism. And the early forms of Gnosticism are already prevalent in this area, and he's addressing that in this letter in the next section. I'll talk more about that next week. 
There was also a Jewish synagogue. In fact, they had taken thousands of Jewish people hundreds of years earlier and moved them there to that city uh, to populate them when they were spread all over the diaspora. Finally then, this Christian church gets formed there in the, the house of Philemon and the gospel is spreading. And so Paul is writing them and saying, God, you need to, guys, you need to find the truth of who Jesus actually is and not just do what many of us do today, become the consumerist or cafeteria Christian who selects a little bit of this and a little bit of this and oh, I like that, but I don't like that and I don't like this and I don't like that. When we do that, What we essentially do is create our own religion. If I were to do that in my life, I could create the religion of Josh, right? Where I would select the things that I like and get rid of the things that I don't like. All religions know that that is a universalist concept that essentially you're creating your own religion is not true to any of those religions. See, What Paul is addressing here is an early threat to Christianity that still exists today, which is this term called syncretism. Syncretism, and I love that I use a big word in the definition, so I apologize for that, but the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. It means you take all the different philosophies and religions and schools of thought, and you just kind of combine it together like I was just describing. That's literally what syncretism is. And so I I believe that just like in Paul's day, we have a problem with that today where we have taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And what the reason it is a conflict with our Christian beliefs is because Jesus directly opposes it. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse six, he says, Jesus answered them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's talking about eternal salvation with his heavenly father forever. And he says the only means to that is through his atoning sacrifice on the cross to cover up for our mistakes and wrongdoing what we would call sin. That we could be forgiven and made right with the perfect God. And that he rose from the grave overcoming death itself so that we could live with him eternally and be given the spirit of God to know him in this lifetime. To be Christian means to know that Christ is the only uh, uh, answer to the mystery. It has been solved. It's found in Christ. Point number two. I told you I was going to preach today. And and I know if you're kind of new to to like Christianity, please don't hear the harshness or the directness of this as not, uh, not being out of love. And I'll say why here in just a moment. But I believe this stuff matters Because Paul doesn't just um, say that the mystery has been solved. He says that we as Christians must contend that others know this mystery has been solved. Look, he uses the word contend here twice. Verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, you don't find the wisdom and knowledge from all these mystery cults and figuring out which things you like and which things you don't. You find it in in Christ alone. And, And what he's sharing to them is you then as a follower of Jesus are to contend for that with other people. That means your family and friends, your oikos, the eight to 15 in your sphere of influence, you may be the only Jesus they ever see, hear, or experience. And it matters. And not to do it out of self-righteousness, 
to prove and debate, show them why you're right and they're wrong. But because it's real, because God loves them and created them, he loves them just as much as he loves you. And the life of a Christian is to sacrifice and suffer that we might contend for other people to know Christ. Did you realize how important this was? Can we bring that map up one more time? I didn't do this at the last service, but I want to show you that the city of Laodicea, he also addresses this letter to. And Laodicea was also mentioned in Revelation chapter three. And it says that the Christians of Laodicea had become lukewarm and that he would spit them out of his mouth. And the reason he says that is because in Colossae, they had cold, fresh water there. But in Hierapolis, they had warm springs, hot water that would be there. But the water in Laodicea was neither. It was neither fresh nor hot. It was passed through um, actual tubes, pipes that would get to the city eventually. But when it got there, it was no longer warm from the warm springs. It was tepid or lukewarm. It could become polluted over time. And he says, like that water that many Christians have become lukewarm. You're neither hot following Jesus with your whole life nor cold rejecting him. You're kind of riding both sides just trying to get by. Man, that speaks to me. I'm not not telling you it's got to speak to you, but it has spoken to me recently studying this letter that I don't want to be the type of Christian that isn't fully devoted out of love of Christ for other people, contending for the gospel. God, use me. I only get one life. Do something with it. I don't want to get to heaven and be talking about all the toys I got to play with and being a Toys R Us Christian. I want to be someone who has real kingdom stories of how you use me to advance the gospel. Some of us are going to get there and be talking about the vacations we took a few times. Nothing wrong with vacations. I take them. You need to take them. But I'm telling you, what is this life really about? Paul's telling the church in Colossae, this stuff matters. Contend for one another, but don't do it out of anger or self-righteousness. Do it out of love. In fact, in verse two, he said, be encouraged in heart and united in love for them. Reminds me of what Jesus says. See, Jesus in John chapter 15 told us the same thing that, that Paul started this letter with, that we should bear fruit as Christians. But then he says this in verses 12 to 17 in John 15, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. To contend for your friends and family. And I have people in my family, my immediate family, who aren't Christian or who even practice other religions. And they will always be family. And I will always love them. But part of loving them is having the courage to contend for the gospel in a loving, grace-filled way. And I've been challenged in that way to lay down my life for other people. Verse 15, because when we do that, like Paul was a servant of Christ, look what it says in verse 15. This is really cool. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you that when you become alive in Christ, he doesn't just become your Lord that you're serving. He is that, but you actually get to know him in a personal way. It's the beauty. It's the good news of the gospel. One of the best things that ever happened to me when I became a Christian as a 19-year-old fraternity guy was I started a Bible study in the fraternity house. And as I tried to pour out my life into some of the guys in the fraternity house, I realized it was benefiting me as much as it was benefiting them. 
I see Christians who become so stagnant in their faith, not pouring out into others, just pouring into themselves so long that it doesn't just uh, negatively impact their sphere of influence that they don't hear the, the good news of Jesus. It also negatively impacts us, that, that we just become stagnant in our faith, not becoming mature the way Christ intended us to be. This is what Paul is intending to tell the Colossians. He's saying, I'm suffering and sacrificing that you may not get lost in the false teachings and synchronistic practices of the world. Whew. This third and final point, we're going to dissect some more next week. I know it's a little heavy, but you're smart people. Most intelligent culture in human history, right? We can handle this stuff. And I think it's important for us as Christians to start understanding the the, the important uh, time in human history we live in. See, the third and final point that he says that he writes here is to not be deceived. To become fully alive in Christ, to understand that you're in a spiritual battle and not be deceived by the things around us in this world and the enemy's plans for our life. And he does have plans for you and for me. See, in verses four and five, it says, I tell you this, here's why Paul says this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I hope if you come in here and you hear a fine-sounding argument from me, but you find a contradiction in Scripture and God's Word, that you follow God's Word and not me. And my, my same hope is that that would be true for every YouTube video you watch, for everything that you, every book that you read, every culturally significant issue we're facing that we search God and his word and in prayer ask the Holy Spirit to discern wisely that we might hear from him. And then we search out wise Christian counsel to affirm that. And then we check historical, uh, biblical interpretations of 2,000 years of Christian history to make sure that we're not just making things up as we go along. And Paul is telling the church in Colossae to do that very thing. Verse five, for I, though I am absent, Paul writes from you in body, I present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. The goal is that we might be not rooted on the shifting sands of the culture around us, but that we might be firmly rooted on the truth of God's word and Christ crucified and resurrected from the grave. And that we know without a shadow of a doubt, that's the truth that we hold on to that the mystery has been solved. And as we, we run this race, it's not a sprint, right? To find just the latest, cool, exciting little teaching, but it's, it's a marathon of continual devotion. If you're a sprinter, I don't mean to offend you, but you guys are weak-minded. Marathon runners, I'm not one of them, but you guys have real mental devotion. Mile after mile of sticking with it and saying, okay, I'm not going to give up. That's the life of a Christian to say, God, I know it's hard, but I'm going to take another step forward. And if I take two steps forward and one step back, I'm going to trust you that you're going to forgive me yet again with your grace. And I'm going to follow you even more the next time. And I'm going to stay devoted to your Lordship, even when I don't understand it. I'm going to submit to your word, even when it contradicts my already established set of beliefs. Do you realize how important this is? So the church there in the Lycus River Valley will be one of the scenes of one of the first great heresies of the early church. It's called the Phrygian heresy because it's talking about this ancient you know, towns that came from this uh, ancient culture. And they began to follow this guy named Montanus. Montanus was considered to be a prophet and he had these two key prophetesses and the three of them were thought to be like a kind of this prophetic trinity. 
and they would uh, profess these things. They would say, I heard from God and share this. And when it contradicted God's word, they would say, well, we heard from God, so we can contradict God's word because it's more relevant to today than what scripture teaches us. And it leads that church completely astray. And that's why in Revelation, when it's talking to the church in Laodicea, it doesn't say kind things about it. It's the last of the seven churches there in chapter three of Revelation. So when all of this occurs, it's important because they eventually get led very astray because they weren't surrendering their firm foundation that the mystery has been solved in Christ and his word, searching to hear from him on a daily basis. By the way, do you know what stands there in Colossae today? If you go and visit, nothing. It doesn't exist. You, you, you can't even, they're not even really sure where the ruins are. Over 50,000 people in that day. And that town is completely passed away. And I'm not saying that all came because they followed heretical views of, of Jesus and God's word. But what I'm saying is that that town or that city no longer exists. And the only thing that exists today is whether or not they followed Jesus with their life or whether they got led astray and deceived by the things in the world around them. Because all those people are dead and gone. But those who knew Christ and him crucified are with him now. And those who rejected it, not just aren't with him, but they actually led other people astray for generations upon generations upon generations. And so when we say that this matters, it doesn't just matter to you and to me and our eternal salvation. It matters to the people in our sphere of influence. It matters to the generations of family that we're gonna raise up. Is he the firm foundation of our family? Is he the firm foundation of our marriage? Is he the firm foundation of our dating life? The firm foundation of our finances? The firm foundation of our choices and decisions that we make in our daily lives? The foundation of the way that we live with integrity in the workplace or is he just another thing that we kind of like some of his teachings but we just kind of do whatever we want see I believe that God loves you he's not mad at you he's not looking on with judgment telling you that you're a horrible human being but I do believe that he is a jealous God that when we turn to any other belief system rather than the truth of Jesus crucified and resurrected from the grave to build our life off of that in his word, I believe he wants to contend for us. And I believe that as Christians, we should contend for one another. And I believe he is not done with you no matter how much you have built spiritual walls in your life or how much you've selected things from other cultures or religions or just trying to made this conglomeration of belief system and created your own religion. He wants to draw you home. He wants you to be known by him and to know him. He wants to love you back the way he first loved you when he created you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head and it doesn't matter the divorce or the mistakes and the things that you've done. He welcomes you home, but he doesn't welcome you home for you to just tell him what to do. He welcomes you home that you might become obedient to him so that when you get to heaven one day, you don't just have stories of some fun little things you did on the weekends, but you have stories of kingdom advancement of how God used your life to change the course of human history, that people hear the good news of Jesus is ringing out from this area and around the state and throughout the country and around the world as Christians become hungry to become fully alive in Jesus Christ. It's time to live again, to become mature followers of Jesus who don't just do things our way, but do them his way. That's our heart. I believe that's the truth that we read in this passage of scripture. Will you pray with me? God, first for many of us as Christians, I gotta confess, I just sometimes don't wanna do it your way. 
like a child. I just want to tell you, stop bossing me around. I got this figured out. I'll live how I want, talk how I want, inhale the things I want, drink the things I want, act how I want, look at the things I want. But to follow you, Jesus, there is an act of submission. I have been crucified and no longer live, and the life I live is through faith in the Son of God. So if there's anybody here who needs to recommit their life to the Lordship of Jesus, or maybe you've been searching things out, you've been selecting things, and it's to say, I'm done with that. I'm gonna submit and make my firm foundation, Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected from the grave, that I might know God, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the Romans 6.23, that wages of sin are death, but Romans 10, that if we confess you as Lord of our life, that we can believe and receive your forgiveness and grace and mercy and live with you eternally. And so if today, I wanna give you the opportunity to fully surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Pray this silently as I pray it out loud. I know there's somebody here who needs to pray this. Do not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus for your life today. He is not ashamed of you. He welcomes you home with open arms. Pray this with me. God, I confess that I need you. I'm gonna stop doing life on my own. I believe and receive your forgiveness. I repent of anything in my life that is not of you and I surrender to your lordship in every way. Use me, Jesus, I am fully yours. Thank you, God. We surrender to you as a church. Help us to stand for your truth today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen.